Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's jump into today's episode. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, antijpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. Okay, this episode of the show is sure to jazz you out of your, I don't know what you're going to get out of because of the jazz, but you're definitely going to break free. I can, I can tell you that right now. This episode is an interview with my new friend, Kathy Heller. She had me on her podcast called Don't Keep Your Day Job. It's a super successful, phenomenal podcast with interviews with people like, I don't know, Jenna Fisher from The Office, Seth Godin, a whole bunch of authors and creative people that are there to help you make a living from your passion, especially in the creative world. Kathy, before she had this podcast, and I think she even does this still today, uh, was in the music industry writing songs for ads for people like Kellogg's, McDonald's, Walmart, um, and even doing her own music. But I had a freaking blast talking with Kathy. Uh, I love that she is a is a phenomenal example of how a creative career can be approached with creativity. You know, I think people think, oh, I want to get in the music industry, and they instantly think, I want to be 
Mick Jagger. That's what everybody's trying to be these days, right? All the kids want to be Mick Jagger. Uh, But you don't have to be Mick Jagger. And it might not be your calling. That line is really, really long. And it's probably not the line for you. And I think Kathy's story is an example of going about it in your unique way, uh, in a way that works for you and your particular talents. And uh, she, yeah, she's the epitome of that. And her show is a phenomenal resource. And I think that if you're a fan of this show and you like the, the type of interviews that we do, you are going to love Kathy's show. Go check it out. It's on iTunes. Don't keep your day job by Kathy Heller. You can uh, find the links to her site and to the show in the show notes at creativepeptalk.com slash episodes. One more thing before we get into the interview. Kathy is doing a workshop called Dreamtopia Workshop in LA, March 14th and 15th. If you want to go check it out, click the link in my show notes. It'll be there. And uh, you can go check this out. And it's all about how to make a living doing what you love. And she's going to have some awesome uh, guests and a really different perspective. So go check it out. We love Kathy. This conversation had me uh, super jazzed, as I said. But also, I kept thinking back to it and referencing it uh, in my everyday conversations. And that's always... Uh, a sign that there was some real nuggets, some real gold, if you will. Kathy, thank you so much for being on the show. We love you. We love your podcast. And uh, I know all of you guys are going to dig Kathy as well. Here she is. Uh, I got all kinds of questions for you, but... I'm Let's so happy get... to be here. I really like you so much. I don't know anyone like who you would too. like you. You're so easy to like because you're, <laughs> you're 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 an artist who's not pretentious, so that's great. Um, and you you say things that are provocative, and then you with so much support at the same time, such love and understanding, and yet you push us to get to where we really need to, to be. It's so cool. So it's so hard to stop you, but this is not you interviewing me. So I I know we've done that already. You were so good on my show. Uh, Yes, we have done that already. And uh, thank you for doing this. I'm really excited. You, you have a totally different place in a similar market to me. And I'm endlessly fascinated by, what that journey is. I'm inter- you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, super familiar with the music industry, especially in the way that you're a part of it. Right. And I don't, I don't know a lot about the West coast or LA or any of that. And pretty much everything that you've done in your career is just, uh, super fascinating. And, and I'm very curious. So I'm excited <laughs> to pick cool. your brain and see what the oh, heck is going on and how you got there. So wow. cool. Let's start with, you can you give us the the story of how you became the Kathy Heller that we know? Yeah, I'm still figuring out who the heck I am, and yeah. really, what I mean seriously, like being yourself, whatever that is in air quotes. Everyone says be yourself. Mm. That is so big, right? It's like revolutionary to like really truly be yourself and not the person you've been taught to be or learned to be or the person who like built all these walls around your heart and soul so you won't get crushed. Like really be yourself, say what you need to say in the moment. 
um, for the first time, whatever it is, yeah. um, all of that. So I'm, I'm figuring it out, but Sorry. I'll give you the story. What, did you want to say something? <laughs> I you just want go to pause ahead. you and say that what you already said there is huge because I don't think, uh, one of the things that drove me absolutely bonkers when I yeah. was in school Tell doing me. illustration was you'd have artists come in and they'd say, just be yourself. And the just in front of that mm. is so infuriating and BS, like yeah. just yes. be yourself. Oh, that's what you're here on the planet to right. do, yeah. right? Yeah. And that, that's what you're articulating. Like that is the journey. Yeah, that's the journey. Um, I mean, the truth is it's it's right there. It's it's right there. We are all really whole. We, we've been taught that we're damaged and all of this stuff. And look, nobody gets out of their childhood unscathed. So we are, we're we need to just unbundle that stuff. It's like, but we have this intuition. It's all there. We just, we are such perfectionists. Other people modeled beliefs and attitudes for us that we don't really want and, or they don't serve us anymore. Um, and it's about learning to just let that stuff go and then just, just be and come from the place of whatever really is true for you in the moment. And that's the scariest stuff in the world because no one teaches you to honor that or to be messy and figure it out and the, and know that that is the only way right is like to just follow that whatever that enthusiasm is is being called to do and somehow some way um just like on a scavenger hunt you follow it and then you get a clue and then you go to the next place and then somehow while you're getting these clues about where to go and where to turn you get better at things but yeah. anyway, but nobody likes that path because that path is no. very uncomfortable and there's a lot at stake and you probably get hurt and all of those things. So they try to shield you from any pain by telling you how to be and, uh, and, and what you're good at, what you're not good at, so that you can minimize pain, except that then you're stuck being someone else, which sucks, yeah. right? So I think, yeah. go ahead. No, no I was just going to say, so for me, uh, yeah, I grew up in... Uh, my, I, my family life was like not so fun. My parents were fighting all the time. They eventually got divorced. I was their therapist. They literally sat me down. They, they're like, come up with a name for yourself. And, um, I picked this name, Dr. Brattle. I don't know why, but I would sit there. It was like totally out of a Woody Allen movie. Like my parents would sit and oh tell me God. their problems. And I would be like, listen, you're codependent. I would make things up. I just had heard that somewhere. Like I would just say things and they would tell me all their issues about like whatever was they were struggling with, sex, money issues. Um, it just, they're not fulfilled. They're not happy. And anyway, oh they're so gosh. both very much narcissists, narcissists, um, helpless, narcissistic. My mom is a creative. She, uh, she was always a frustrated artist and musician and I was like watching what it was like to like let your dreams die inside of you. Like she was just like so wanting to get it out and never did. And she was – the story is like she peaked in high school. She was like most talented, most likely to be on Broadway, you know, president of the drama club. She starred in the show and then just didn't do anything. Um, my dad is just like a frustrated human who – just so much angst inside. And anyway, he wound up leaving. And uh, and then I I realized a little bit of like why my dad struggled though with my mom because she she's just a kind of manic craziness. And uh, my mom struggled with like suicidal like issues. Like I went through that. That was so insane. Um, and I was just trying to like wake up and go to high school and fit in. And like I had all this going on at home. Um, my dad sort of 
went off to find a new family and then he got married again and again. Now he's on his third marriage. Um, and so I didn't really have parents so much. I was kind of just figuring things out. Um, and then, um, I was looking for a reason to be on the planet. Like I couldn't believe that you grow up so that you can like watch law and order and like be in an unhappy life. Like I was like, this is just, that sucks. Like, I don't want that. Um, and I used to do musical theater growing up. I, my first play, I was in free to be you and me when I was like nine and I loved it. And, um, you know, it was unlikely actually, because my sister was like the talented one and I was like just her sister. And I went with her to the audition and uh, she was supposed to audition, not me. And I wound up auditioning while we were there. The, the director was like, oh, you're cute with freckles. We're doing free to be. Why don't you sing something? And then um, we got the call two weeks later and she left the message on the answering machine. She was like, uh, I just want to congratulate your daughter. And my mom's like, oh, and to my sister, oh, you're going to get in. And it was, I got in and my mom's like, what? That's terrible. Now your sister's so upset. That's not supposed to happen. You're not even a good singer. Like, you know, <laughs> and I was like, oh this God. is my, you know, this is so funny. And I, I, I think in a way that really served me because she had the pressure. She was the star. She was talented. She'd go to NYU and she did. She went to Tisch. My parents would pay for her to have the voice lessons, but not me. So in a way I was like, I don't really have to try, I guess. Nobody cares. No one's looking. I'll just do whatever. And um, it allowed me to just have more fun with it maybe. So I wound up doing like a play every season, which was great because it kept me out of the house. I didn't have to be there when my parents were fighting. And then when I um, was graduating from high school, which I barely, barely graduated, uh, my sister was at NYU uh, and she was like, drowning. She was like, it's freezing in New York. It's so competitive. Oh my God. Now I'm like a, you know, I'm a, um, I'm a fish in the biggest pond and I don't know if this is ever going to work out. And I was like, well, I don't want to go through that. That seems like miserable. Um, and where, did you, where did, where were you guys living? I grew up in South Florida, which is like okay. the most culturally devoid place. Like <laughs> we have like chilies and like the most interesting place was like a borders books and music. And then they closed that. Yeah. But it was like, for me, it was like, what is happening? Everything's beige. Yeah. Like I, everyone's eating dinner at 4.45. I, I, what's happening here? It was like, not great for me. Um, was the internet already an outlet for culture? No, because I, right. I didn't have email until I was in college. Yeah. At 39. So there was it's none a of different, that. I think it's so interesting. Like people uh, in our age group are people that lived before and after and such a, I think it really, I don't anyway, it's too big of a rabbit hole to jump down, but <laughs> it's funny that I think it's probably hard for people that don't know that to relate to how much of a, how much of a culture vacuum you could find yourself in. Oh yeah. In that time, in that time frame. Yeah, no, absolutely. And there was so little that was like modeled for me too, like in terms of what was possible. And so that kind of leads me to my career because the only thing that was modeled for me was either, I guess you could be on Broadway since I love doing musicals, or I guess you could maybe become like Carol King or Sheryl Crow and get a record deal. And so this is how sim simple minded it was for me. I was like, well, my sister's in New York and she's freezing. And the Broadway world she's telling me is super competitive. You have to stand on these long lines to like get into those auditions. And I was like, I guess I'll try to go to LA where it's warmer and I'll try to get a record deal. Like I was like, those are the two right. paths, that's all. 
And I think that we all do this to ourselves. We think, you know, it's either I'm going to be Michael Jordan or nothing. I'm going to be Martha Stewart or I'll never cook any. Like there, there's so much between you and Steve Jobs and you and Elon Musk. There's so much, there's so much you could do. And that's part of what I love doing about on my podcast is showing people all these different ways that you can find fulfillment and find work that you love doing and and be able to eat and 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 have a roof over your head and and get to be creative so um i came out to la this is one of the sorry go ahead i'm just going to interject that i want i want to circle back and I, that's one of the things i want to dive into most for that exact reason in terms of the music scene is that 99 out of 100 musicians think get a record deal yeah. and be the next, you know, Radiohead or nothing. And I always think, man, there's so many more opportunities. I'm not, you know, it's not my experience or my path. So I'm not as in tune with all the different arenas. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious. Well, we're going to yeah, dive gonna, into that right now. So let's I, go into that. Let's go into that. So I came out here and I was like, yeah. let's get a record deal. And I got, first of all, I, I went on to Craigslist, got a job. I didn't have a trust fund. I didn't even have parents, like emotional support, you know, like they were going through their own stuff, but I got an apartment got on Craigslist, got a job. And then I was like, okay, I'll work my day job and try to somehow find my way into that beautiful Capitol records building that I've seen so often. Right. And so I, um, I just started to do all the things that I could could do. You know, I was like, oh, I'll, I'll write a song. I'll make a demo. I'll, I'll try to get it to this person. I'll go to that mixer. I'll meet somebody, like all these things. And two years of that journey later, I, um, I did get a record deal and I was offered a record deal from Interscope. And that was a whole series of multiple things that actually got me there, right? Um, and that was amazing. And I was there actually sitting at Sunset Sounds, which is this recording studio. And I was with Ron Fair, who was my producer, and he was recording paparazzi with Lady Gaga. And I was there watching them record it. And I was like, this girl, she's gonna be good. Like I, yeah, good, good job on this one. Um, and it was beautiful music. It was just so cool. They were recording this like 36 piece string orchestra. If you listen to paparazzi, Ron Fair loves strings so that it's, it's amazing. You hear this like pop music and the synthesizers like cut together against like strings and it really gives it such dimension. It's beautiful, which I never realized until I was like sitting there listening to that. Um, so anyway, I will. Can you briefly go into what your music is like at this time and kind of how, how you just, yeah, I was grasping at straws, you know, trying to figure out what they wanted, what I wanted, what I sounded like. I was doing a lot of like trying to fit in and um, trying to write songs that were like pop songs. And um, my 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 actual sound, what I sound like, um, I've been compared like I sound like Natalie Merchant or I sound uh, mm-hmm. like Ingrid Michaelson. Like I have more of a just like a conversational singer songwriter sound. And I was writing these songs that were trying to be just bigger pop songs. Um, and they were like almost good. I don't think they were that good, but they, they were good enough to get me, um, a little bit of attention. And, um, and then about three months after I got the record deal, I got a call from Ron Fair and he's like, are you, are you driving? I'm like, yeah. He's like, pull over. He's like, look, Jimmy Iovine isn't sure that we're going to sell the record. So he just doesn't want to take the risk. And I was like, all right, that sucks. You know? And I was crying and everything. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do it again. You know, if they liked it, I'll do it again. And, um, I wound up getting signed to Atlantic records and 
that was a whole nother string of events that happened. And that was cool. And I was like, oh, Atlantic makes more sense to me. Um, Jason Mraz is on this label. They have some more artists that are less like big pop, pop sound. Like they're a little bit more, I could see where this is going. And funny enough, because Andy, you and I talked about your love of Muppets, Craig Kalman, who was the president of Atlantic, his idea was, Kath, you know what's going to happen? We'll find a soundtrack for you to do. He's like, I think that's how we could release a record for you. Let's find a soundtrack just like Jack Johnson did the whole Curious George album. Let's find a movie yeah. that would be your your record. He's like, because there's something about your music that would really lend itself to that kind of thing. So let's do something like that. And then you can kind of have this crossover where like, uh, you know, kids would like your songs. Adults would like your songs. We'll find a movie. So then he calls me and he's like, Fraggle Rock is being made into a movie. Weinstein Company is doing it. Ahmet Zappa wrote it. Let's go meet with Rachel Levy, who at the time was, you know, head, head music su supervisor over there. So I was like, oh my God. So I go in to meet with her and she's like, all right, so we can have you write some songs for Fraggle Rock. How does that sound? And that'll be your record. And I'm like, this is amazing. Cut. Just so you know, yeah. all of my listeners, all my hardcore listeners are freaking out because they know. Isn't that I, crazy? I, I, <laughs> Yeah, I pretty much talk about Fraggle no, Rock. No, and this is this episode. is literally like this is one of the seminal points of my story because yeah. that was when I found out that my music made sense to be licensed to a soundtrack because I'd never heard anyone say that that was the vehicle. And then the movie, yeah. if you go onto IMDb, it still hasn't been made. They just kept pushing it. I know yeah, it's really frustrating. Um, Tell me about. Yeah. it. I'm following this story yeah. for years so and then uh rivers cuomo was also gonna write a couple songs for it and um and that was like so cool and then we waited and waited and and then craig was like oh they're they're shelving it forget it like we don't have a vehicle you know we'll see if we can find a vehicle for you but that's the only way i could see this working out i was like great it's not happening either so then when that kind of fell apart i was like sitting there with my head in my hands and I was like, this is like meeting the Wizard of Oz and I can't get home. Like he, he has no power. I'm like, wait a minute. And this is so important for listeners, for artists to get. Like so often people want to glom on to some big machine. Like, oh, it'll happen for me when I get a book deal, a publishing deal with a record label. I'll, it'll happen when I get my, my, whatever I'm making for the web, it gets picked up and Hulu makes it. Like, no, that's not actually I'm true. You know, I, I, yeah, I'm literally in the middle of writing an episode that I've been working on for weeks about the Matrix, mm -hmm. and it's about that very thing. Yes, it, it's about we're living in a simulation where, uh, it, you have you ever heard that sheep thing where if you line up a she, uh, a bunch of sheep uh -huh. and you make them jump over a broomstick, you can take the broomstick away and the sheep will keep jumping. In that same point, oh my god! It's this no. idea oh my that god. forty years ago, you know, whatever, you did need the That's their distribution right. channel and their money and all that That's stuff, right. and we're still jumping, but the broomsticks go. Yes, Andy, this is so important. I get fired up about this because this is so important. And here's the good news, and the thing that people need to get: we live in a time like no other time. You can actually access. The people who are going to either buy your record, support your work, come to your opening, be part of your events, you can access them directly. You can create your own stuff. You can be like yes. Andy and make a podcast. You can go onto Instagram. You can rent a theater and pull together 
a, a community, doing whatever you want to do. You can go to the farmer's market and, and open your own booth selling those t-shirts or those cake pops. You don't need anybody else. You have everything you actually need. And this this would have been like blowing smoke in your face 40 years ago, what I'm saying, because you couldn't yes. compete with Macy's. You couldn't compete with Sony Records. You couldn't. Now you can. You really can. So I was like so distraught. I'm like, I didn't see Beyond the Matrix. So I was like, shoot, I've literally gotten myself inside the kingdom. And they were like, we can't do it. So I ha I, now, I, now I can't even pretend that if I ever got there, it might have been different because I got there and the answer is no. So I'm like, shoot, you know, what is my life going to yeah. look like? So I wound up going to get a quote unquote real job, which, which is my code for like boring, settle, be miserable. So Mm -hmm. I, I did so many things. I worked at a nonprofit because I thought, oh, that'll be a real job that actually feels good. But nothing feels good if you don't wake up feeling like you're doing you, like you're in alignment, you're congruent with yourself, you're leaving some mark of something you feel inclined to express or give. Like it doesn't matter because I was living for someone else's ideas and dreams. And by the way, working at a nonprofit sucks. They're totally unorganized, they're stressed out. So that was stressful. Then I, I was talking to a friend. She's like, well, if you're going to have a quote unquote real job, just do something that makes you a lot of money. So she introduces me to a guy who worked at a commercial real estate firm in Brentwood. I start working for him. I'm like, okay. So he was paying me decent money to like basically help him take people to lunch and like make good conversation. And that was essentially my job. And it, it was so not me, you know? And, um, so that was miserable. Um, I took an interior design class. I was like, oh, maybe I'll do a different kind of creative thing, except I don't know how to draw. I was terrible at that. I was like, oh, you have to do things like you have to understand space and math. I, I don't understand the math of any of this. So I was in my car one day and uh, driving my old Volvo and I pulled over on the side of the road. I was just crying. I was like, I need clarity. I, I cannot do this, As, especially after growing up in a home where I wanted to escape that darkness so bad. I was like, I had always hoped that what would get me through the crap of my childhood is that one day there'd be a payoff. It'd be a better life. I'd be more fulfilled. Something about life would work out to feeling like my parents had got it wrong and there was a different way to do this thing called being an adult. And I didn't want to settle and be miserable. So here's what happened. I was like, you know what? I will figure out another way. And it was the first time I thought, maybe I don't need the matrix. Maybe I can actually do something on my own, but I didn't know how. So of course, a few days later, I was like, oh, I'm going to pick up uh, Billboard magazine. I'm just going to read it and see if, I don't know, whatever comes. And sure enough, in that magazine, I'm reading about an artist, Ingrid Michaelson, who had licensed her songs. I didn't even know what that word meant at that time, but she had licensed her yeah. songs to Grey's Anatomy and Old Navy had used a song in an ad. And, um, and I, and she, they were talking about how she was making $500,000 a year without a label. And I was like, this is the article I was looking for. And then I had this, I, I, this, this serves me really well. I have, I have a lot of naivety about what's possible. And I actually think that it's not naive because I really then wind up going for that and then good things do happen. So, and I do think we, yeah, there's some level of delusion and yes, uh, you know, I don't know what it is, but it served me. Yeah. You know what I'm degree. saying? Like you, you do, like, you know what I could do right. that. You need to, and then like, you're sort of building the engine while flying in the plane, but something yeah. winds up happening because you're at least headed in that direction that all of a sudden. True. So I'm like, wait, I've never thought about licensing my music. And this is really where my career became a career because 
I thought, oh, well, remember what Craig Kalman said about Fraggle Rock and soundtracks? And what if I just met other people who were doing those things? Why didn't I do that two years ago? Why have I spent two years mm -hmm. sitting on the sidelines? So um, I started to take- Waiting for them to take care of it for yes. you. Yes. To point, to say, yes. I'll take you to the person that'll, yeah. That's it. That's it. And I know yeah. so many people being in LA now, I've been here 15 years, who are like, I just need a good manager. Like, they're not going to do anything for you. Like, why do you but think There's something that? about, we've been- I don't know what it is, but there's something about the way that it's like a the creative mythology, the way that creative people are portrayed in uh, narrative yeah. and all that that we need someone to take care of us. Yeah, like like we need somebody to waiting for like fix all. Yeah, of Clive Davis is just going to come around and see you singing in the church choir, and your whole life is going to change the next day. Or yeah, I always say it's Hagrid. Yeah, Hagrid's waiting to be like, "You're a wizard, and I'm going to take you there, and I'll show you your giant vault of gold." Yeah, you talked about that when you were on my show, and people have commented yeah. about that. They love that <laughs> so much, and it it makes so yeah. much sense. And it's so important that we can empower people right now in this conversation. And you've been doing it with yes. your own work. Like, there's so much right in front of you, and so I got that. It, that was the beginning of me understanding that. And so I decided, what if I got really resourceful? And here's the thing. People are like, the only way I can do this is if I have the right contacts or if I have the right last name. What if you just got super resourceful? What if you, you know, because the greatest resource is your compassion, your empathy, your enthusiasm, the way you can connect with a human through just being human. Like you have that inside of you. So I thought, all right, I'm going to look up who the people are, first of all. Then I'll try to figure out a way to get to these people. Maybe I can, now that there is an internet, right? This is like 2006. I was like, I'll Google them. I'll see what I can find. And, um, you know, every day I would find maybe like two people and then I would maybe find some way, like a Twitter account or somebody would have a actual email address. And I started making lists of the people who chose music for all the big primetime shows, like the Grey's Anatomies of the time. One Tree Hill was on at the time. And then I would make, lists of the people who chose music for different ad agencies. And that was actually even easier because I realized ad agencies, all of them had um, tons of people who were broadcast producers and there were a lot of people I could reach out to. So I started to figure out how to write emails that would actually connect, that were specific, that were not like, hi, I'm a songwriter. Like, um, you know, I'd say like, yeah. hey, my name is Kathy and I love grilled cheese sandwiches. And when I'm not, you know, looking for the next good hike in LA, I'm writing songs and I just saw your recent Pepsi commercial and here's an, you know, I, here's a link to a song. And, you know, by the way, you know, I, I see that you live in LA. I've only been here a year. Like what's your favorite restaurant or whatever I would say, something like that. Yeah. Anyway, I wound up connecting with people. I then on a whim one day made up this PDF and it said mochas and music. And I made, I'm a really bad graphic designer. And I, I just put this little like cartoon girl with a guitar and then a plus sign and then a picture of like a Starbucks Frappuccino. And I put it on this like little, I was doing it on my Mac and it said, uh, step one, tell me your favorite Starbucks drink. Step two, tell me what date and time to drop it off. And step three, I'll leave you with some music and some coffee. And I sent that little PDF inside of an email to like 60 people. Some people didn't respond. Some people said, no, thanks. And then about 27 people said, sure, you know, and do you mind bringing one for my assistant or sure, you can drop it off on Tuesday or whatever. And um, I had 27 meetings and that year, every one of those people placed my song, placed my song. So all of a sudden, wow. cut to a year later, I have like 
$200,000 coming in. And my songs were in McDonald's ads, Walmart ads, Keurig Coffee, Crate and Barrel, TV shows like Pretty Little Liars, The Office, Parks and Rec, Community, SNL, uh, promos for the NBC lineup, like Friends and whatever was on at the time. Um, yeah. It was amazing. I started licensing my songs just like I said I was. And then I did that the next year. And then eventually Billboard wrote a full page article about me with a picture. And then Variety wrote a full page article about me with a picture. And I was on the cover of the USA Today music section. And I was on a full story, a full page story in the LA Weekly. And it was all about this girl who was, it was like writing your own check was one of the titles of one of the articles. Yeah. Um and then I started being asked to speak to songwriters. So I would speak uh, at the ASCAP Expo or the Billboard Film and TV Conference, or I'd fly out to Berkeley in Boston and speak to those songwriters. Um, and then I started an agency helping other songwriters because I already had now these like relationships and I was finding out about opportunities. Um, because in the music licensing world, it's not like with actors where they can get backstage and see the breakdowns of everything that's being casted you don't know what, what is being looked for. You don't know if uh, there's a trailer that needs a song. You don't know if there's a show that's looking for a song about coming home. Nobody, you have to sort of just be in the loop and, and figure it out. It's yeah. like a one-on-one -on -one thing. Yeah. Um, so because I had that access, I started to help other writers. And then I realized I would get these songs from songwriters. And this was my next big thing that I got and realized is that when I had gotten the idea of the matrix where you have to go direct and you can, if you mm -hmm. get really scrappy and you get courageous and brave and you start sending stuff to the people directly and you start making your content before someone's paying for the studio time, you just go ahead and do these things. The other big piece is business is about other people have to like this art also. And that's the only way they're going to write me a check for $55,000 for that one song. So I realized when I was going to the studio, I didn't realize it until I started this agency helping artists, but I went, I was looking back and I was like, oh my gosh, wait a minute. I did totally have this sort of strategy because when I would go to the studio, I would go in having watched the last three episodes of Grey's Anatomy and I had written down what were the themes of these songs. And I saw that writing a song that was like, count on me or I'm here for you, I realized that that was a song that they needed. So I would make these yeah. like notes to myself about the stories that were being told. And then I would come into the producer and I would say, I want to write a song about this. I want to write a song about togetherness, about overcoming the odds, about being bold, about being an original. Those are a lot of things that the ads are always saying, like, be yourself, be an original, like share your gifts, all that stuff. So I would sort of figure out how to share this bigger story, this universal message with my own self, with whatever really was me. Um, and yeah. it worked. And so when I was starting the agency, so many artists were sending me these like, first of all, the quality of the work was like, they were just sending me demos. Then they would send me songs about breaking up. And I love how you you said in your list of like five things to you know to do to you know for great business. You're like, you know, a prerequisite is like you have to be depressed to make great art. Like this yeah. is this is a lot of what's in the songwriter world. Like people would send me just sad yeah. song after sad song, and um, I realized this is not working. And so a couple artists would say like, "Can I have coffee with you? You know, would you give me the names of the people you know?" And I realized like before you send this song, make sure you're solving their problem because they have a job to do. 
And so I wound up um, on, on a whim. I created a course. And this is another thing that people can just do without needing something, some yeah, institution. True. So the first course I had was in my living room. I had 10 songwriters and I sat around with them and I was like, here is a list of general themes that get asked for all the time. Here's some ideas production-wise of like how the sonic palette moves to tell a story cinematically. These are things you'll notice. Yeah. It starts out sparse. It then builds. Then it gets bigger. And then I would sort of go through some of the creative steps that what I thought helped tell stories that were for cinema, that were for an ad, whatever. There's so much stuff that you're hitting uh, that I want to talk about, but one that I just absolutely feel like we have to talk about and not miss on this episode is this thing that you're speaking to. It's something I don't, I, I experientially know this is true and I have yet to been, be able to articulate or explain it to others. And it's this idea that creative people think that they're supposed to just write whatever they feel like writing. Yeah, they do. Uh, and that there's some kind of, uh, I, I cannot put my finger on it, but there's something about this level of empathy where you're solving someone else's problem that for some reason it unlocks what you really wanted to write about oh anyway. Oh my God, yes. And it actually hits home. And I, the only way I've explained it, but I want to hear, and this is just supposed to be a, you know, a springboard for you. Cause I think, you know, something about this that I don't, uh, but I say it like this, I get so much more joy and, and success out of not drawing the t-shirt I feel like drawing, but drawing the t-shirt I feel like wearing. And there's just some level of empathy perception that changes. Yes. And for some reason, and I want to know, A, why you think, why do we, why is there this misconception? Uh, and then why is it so untrue? Yeah, it, yeah, I that, totally get it. And question? it is such a, it is sort of at the solar plexus of this, of this conversation because it's so pervasive. It, it it's is totally it's taken, taken over, over the conversation. Uh, I think that there's two schools of thought, just like in the Fountainhead. I think if anyone's read that book, it's sort of like you're either selling out because you're listening to your customer, or you are an artist because you don't listen to anyone and you make what you want to make. I mean, I think the egotism yeah. of that, first of all, that, that the main problem there. Anyway, I'm I'm gonna shut up. And no, I, I, I love talking. I just to you, wanted so to. This is really fun. <laughs> I get, uh, yeah, excited and there's a, uh, yeah, anyway, but the egotistical, I feel like so many people, they never grow because they were told, trust your instincts. Even when their instincts are underdeveloped, yeah. they've never done anything. Yeah. They've never developed. And yeah. anyway, go well, I hear we you. were talking, you and I were talking about Seth Godin before we started, cause I was congratulating you yes. on having such a great episode with him on your show. And he was on my show yeah, also. Right. And, and he said yeah. to transact with others we need a radical amount of empathy. And he said to me, at the core of anything that's successful, any business, any relationship, radical, radical empathy, radical empathy. So that's, that's really the entire story. That's the beginning and end of the whole story. But let's break it down. So 
Every human being wants one thing. We want to be seen. We want someone to see us, like to, to, they get you, they understand you, they see you, you're significant, you're there. You're, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit about you. You want to be seen. Everyone wants to feel that yeah. feeling. That's both sides of that. So when somebody's saying, oh, I don't want to create something that someone else wants, they're feeling, well, maybe that means I won't get seen. It's the opposite yeah. because totally. by helping, by realizing what you really are searching for, I think the antidote to depression, to feeling low, isn't happiness. We're, we're all chasing happiness, but what we really want is purpose. We want to feel a sense of purpose. Now, here's the thing. The way that you find the most purpose is by helping other humans, serving other humans. So really, it's sort of this beautiful loop. It's like perfectly constructed that the way you most can feel purpose, that you can feel seen, is when you serve another human and make them feel something, connect to them, do something that lifts them, help them feel seen. It's amazing how it just like, it all is so congruent that way. And what I, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, and your brain has developed, it's not, it's not just, you know, mystical, spiritual, relational, whatever. It's also, you've just evolved to do that. Yeah. Evolved in to be part of right. community, be a social yes. animal, help each other. And yep. it, there's a, and, and the thing I hear you saying is like, it's not about saying what they want to hear. It's learning the language that they speak. You know right. I mean? And I mean, that's what good marketers tell you. That it's like psychology. It's like listen to the language they use, you know, like find yes. the palette where, you know, if your if your clients love pink and gold and and you love gold and teal, well then where do you connect? On the gold. Okay. So use that. Or yeah. just it's so it's it's exactly what you just said. It's just let let it be that you're not just making something you love making, but you're making something that the world needs and wants. Yeah. So now the song, it's not just something you think is beautiful. You you we've all had those experiences when you go to a concert and they're singing like the new tracks and you're like this is cool. Like, oh, they're playing me something I never heard before or this is a B-side to an old song I never heard. And then there's the moment where they sing the song that's your song and everyone's crying and the yeah. lighters go up and that entire arena goes from feeling like 25,000 strangers it feels like one soul is singing the song because it's our song yeah. and we all remember the first time we heard it or what it means to us or our graduation or the breakup we went through or the hug we got when we walked in and we relate to that song and it makes us feel like we're all connected. So that artist in that moment, when that, ar when that artist wrote that song, what they did is they didn't just write a song and feel expressed. They wrote something that other people could feel transcendent through. How incredible is that? To be able to use your gifts to uplift other people while you're getting to do something you love doing. Now that's not just a job, that's called incredible purpose. When you draw things, because I've, I've saved so many of the things that you post and, and I asked you permission. I'm like, can I repost? You're like, of course, you know, and of course I'll give you credit. Absolutely. Um, I, I couldn't even choose which one. I was like, I want to post that. I want to post that. And that's the beauty of you being you 
creating things that then I get to say, God, he just put words and an image to something I feel, but I couldn't get to it. It was in my blind spot. And because he articulated it, that might unlock something for me that helps me through the next like six years that I couldn't have found otherwise, unless I just like, you know, heard it really. So we have an ability, each one of us has and and I, I loved it. You said this on my podcast, and I loved how you said it because um, you taught me something even better when you said it. Um, but every one of us has different DNA, right? We have a different fingerprint. And so there is something unique that you have to share with the world. And that must be that must be an indication that there's something about understanding that the world is lacking what your thing is because it's its own thing. Like, what's the evolutionary need for that? When I mean, I had three cats growing up. They all have these like leather paws, you know, and they're so cute. But they're the fingerprints, they don't change. Like, why are ours different? Why is it that there's something unique about each one of us? I, I don't know. It must mean there's something yes. the world is in need of that we can bring. So I used to sit with songwriters and say, here's the thing, just like what you said, Andy, when I was writing a song with Coca-Cola in mind, all of a sudden it was so much easier for me to go to the studio because I would think about, I, you know, I want to teach the, I'd love to teach the world to sing. I think about those Coke ads yeah. and it would inspire me and it would give me something. It would give me a destination. It would help me feel whatever I needed to feel to, to evoke something. Um, and I would write a better song. And it wasn't that I would write what they wanted to, you know, hear or how it, it was just that it would, it would sort of give me a goal. And I thought my friend said it to me this way. He said, you know why you like playing, playing any kind of sport? Like, let's say soccer, for example, he's like, let's say you go out to the soccer field, but somebody took away all the goal lines and there was no goals yeah. and you could just kick the ball how you wanted to kick it. He's like, wouldn't you be so bored after five minutes? Like you need that once you have a structure, now you can soar, right? Like now you know where you're headed. Now you can stand out. Now you can get, get to where you want to get to. And it's so fulfilling to hit that mark. So um, yep. I started teaching this to songwriters. And then that class that was in my living room, I did it again. I, did, I think I did it three times in my living room. And then I was like, wait, I can't fit all these people in my living room. So I, I thought, wait, could I get a space. And I looked, I looked into it. And sure enough, I figured out that a lot of theaters are not used during the day. They're only used in the evening. And on a Tuesday morning, a lot of these theaters in LA were going to rent me their, their place for like 50 bucks an hour if I used it on a Tuesday morning. So I was like, oh, well, I could rent it for 200 bucks and then maybe I could sell the seats. So I wound up doing these workshops for like these, that, this 50 seat theater. And I would invite the people from DreamWorks and from Disney Soundtracks and from uh, Ogilvy or different ad agencies to come. And they loved it. And they felt a sense of purpose because all of a sudden they left their desk job and they got to feel important. And these aspiring writers were so happy to hear from them. And we would have this conversation about what they look for and, you know, what is that sort of moment where they can tell the song is authentic, but it's also sharing a universal message. And, um, that wound up turning into an online class for songwriters. Yeah. And um, yep. it became really a special group of people. And the class, the class has made like a million and a half dollars in two years. And, and it's yeah. only like 500 people, 600 people, right. That have been in this class. And um, 
of the 600 people we've had, like 45 of those people, one of them got an $80,000 spot um, for Starbucks. One of them just got a spot for JCPenney. A bunch of them, a bunch of them have had TV stuff. And um, because I have an agency, I also help sometimes for them to like get the actual spot. Sometimes I'm just giving them sort of the tools. And one of the people in my class said, you know, what you're teaching should be really something for all creatives. Why don't you start a podcast? So uh, less than two years ago, uh, I started a podcast in January of 2017. And we just hit 4 million downloads of this podcast. It's been like, you know, 23 months, I guess, just under two years. And yeah. and now uh, I Amazing. just wrote a book and and I'm really now trying to do exactly what we just sort of did today, which is help artists understand how much is possible in front of you right now? How can you get scrappy and get messy and have the courage to make mediocre things on your way to making brilliant things? How can you get resourceful and figure out who you need to connect to? How can you get resourceful and figure out how to make the work and get it to the people who need to find out about it? Um, and how do you start to understand the difference between a hobby and a business and, and to yeah. get comfortable also with, with succeeding? And to, and to also create a, you know, a structure for yourself. Like I was so impressed with you because you were saying when you were on my show, how you're sort of made up of these two worlds. Your mom was the super creative person and your dad is a really solid grounded business person. And so you have both of those yeah. aspects to you and I'm very, very um, driven and very type A and it's important. Like this is, you know, I tell people like, it's the music business. It's not the music hobby. Like if you want a business, you know, you need to have an idea of like, what's your, what's your plan for the week? Like, you know, you can't just like roll out of bed whenever you're inspired. Like if you want to eat, we need to figure out like, what are you doing to, to have that be the goal? Um, yeah. yeah. And ultimately I just feel like there's so many people who are selling insurance or, you know, working for AT&T or, you know, sitting at some job and, they wish they could be doing this other thing. And, and there is, there's a nugget of truth in there. There is something else you can do. Um, it might not even be the thing you think it is. You might be called to that yeah. and then led to something else, but you absolutely can True. be more fulfilled hundred percent if you're willing to, uh, to do a few things. <laughs> and so I want to help people figure out what those things are, you know? So, Okay. Here's kind of a weird setup to this next question. Uh, <laughs> so when it comes to business and art, I have this analogy that I don't know is a kind of a strange one, but it does it for me. So uh, it's this idea that art business is like a jousting match in a castle and all these artists and art is jousting. Okay. That's the, we're going to say yeah. they're synonymous. So you're saying, all these jousters look in the castle and they're like, I could do that. I'm amazing at jousting. However, it requires swimming through the yeah. moat to get to the castle. And swimming through the moat is business. And so many, uh, you know, jousters go into the moat without any moat training, without any, you know, taking the moat seriously. But the ones that are, that take the moat as seriously as the jousting get in. And not only do they get in, the moat training, the business training ends up making their jousting better. Yep. Does that make sense? That's absolutely right. Okay. So here's my question. That's the I weird love that setup. setup. My, <laughs> my question is, uh, how did you have this, this switch flip when you read that thing about yeah. Ingrid Michaelson and 
uh, yeah. licensing and where all of a sudden that's kind of your business uh, switch yeah. flipped on, right? How did all of this scrappy going and meeting people, understanding that you're solving a problem, all that kind of stuff, how did it impact your creative work? How did it, did it make your art yeah, better? And yeah, how it, it absolutely made me better. You know, every person, this quote I'm about to say, it's been attributed to every person. It's been attributed to John Lennon. It's been attributed to Elton John. It gets attributed. To, I don't, That's how it this goes. is the quote. The quote is that, um, you know, good artists uh, borrow from other artists and great mm-hmm. artists steal from other artists, right? You've heard this quote. Like, John Lennon said that. No, yeah. Elton John. Picasso said it. Sure. Everybody has said it at this point. Um, so I'm not sure who said it, but. Which is funny that that quote would be stolen so right. many times. Right, <laughs> right. But the, the idea is that um, you, you, uh, you know, as Tony Robbins says it a little differently. He says, success leaves clues, right? Um, yes. And that's so yeah. good success leaves clues. It's like these breadcrumbs. So by, by 100% patterns, right. And, um, by studying more, by spending more time meeting with people, right. Let's say I walked into, uh, um, the music supervisor at Fox and I said, you know, what shows are you guys doing? And, And then they could enlighten me. Oh, we're working on this show and this show. Oh, so do you need this song? And they'd be like, mm, no, we would never use that. Why wouldn't you use that? Well, um, it's that's more of like a Disney song. Let me tell you why. It's really on the nose. It's very much about like dreams and this and that. And we would be using something like this, something more vague, something more this, something more melancholy. Oh, okay. But for this show, we would be using this. Like there's just so much that we don't know. We don't know, right? Um, yep. And this is why I think going back to what Seth Godin said, the the heart of something that's successful is this radical empathy. And a lot of times what people yeah. do, and I can see it coming from like miles away and I'm like, stop, don't come back, which is uh, what Willy Wonka says. Stop, don't come back. Um, if there's so often people just sort of head out and uh, they didn't validate the idea, right? There is no radical empathy. Yeah. They're just like, this is what I want to make. So this is what I'm going to make. Imagine if you have a bunch of people over and you're like, oh, I'm going to make dinner for these people. It's going to be awesome. But you don't stop to, to think like, are any of these people vegan? You're just going to make that meal. Yeah, I've, I've done this analogy too. Right? Exactly. And it's like everybody shows up yes. and they're like, this is so beautiful. And then you're, why is nobody eating, you know, grandma Memma's mutton? This is my favorite dish, guys. Like this right, is the like, dish I like I'm to eat so all the time. About this dish, and like, why are you not happy about it? Um, because again, we don't know what they needed or what they wanted. Um, and if you were to make what they had wanted, does that make you less a part of it? Like, all of a sudden, are you not now part of that experience because you love to cook, but you only want to cook what you want to cook? Like, isn't it even cooler that like? Yeah. It's so weird. Yeah, like isn't that like the most honest human transaction that you could actually make the cookies that you like making you cuz you love baking but you actually just made the the flavor that the other person wanted to eat and now they you hand it to them and then they smile. That's pretty cool, right? So yeah. um yes. I would just learn tremendous amounts and it was every time I learned something new it was like getting an answer key. 
Um, we had someone on our podcast, yeah. uh, his name is Saul Blinkoff. He's an animator and he worked at Disney for years and then went on to become a director and worked on a bunch of movies like Mulan and Tarzan and Pocahontas and, and then directed Doc McStuffins and a bunch of things. And he talked about how he was in Columbus near you. He was at the School of Art and Design mm. and he was trying to get into Disney. Yep. And he kept drawing like the best portfolios filled with like faces of Mickey Mouse and faces of, you know, all these different characters. And he kept getting rejected. And um, the guy from Disney came to Columbus School of Design and he met him and he was like, can I pull you aside? Like, why do I keep getting rejected? Like my art teacher says I'm one of the best here. You guys just keep rejecting me. All I want to do since I'm five years old is work at Disney. And that's why I came here. And the guy's like, oh, well, we never take anyone who draws Mickey Mouse really well. And he was like, what? Why not? He's like, because we need to give you like tons of other characters. He's like, so what do I draw? He's like, figure drawing. Draw figures from different perspectives. Like draw me a hand from above. Draw me a face from a side. He's like, what? Okay, I could do that. So he threw away his portfolio. And in two weeks, he drew this whole new portfolio of just like, figures of faces and hands and knees from all different angles. He'd stand up on a ladder and draw somebody sitting below him. He'd stand under, sit under a desk and like, you know, draw the bottom of this, you know, guy's chin or whatever. He sent it in. They're like, they call him up. They're like, Hey, are you the same, you know, Saul Blinkoff we met two weeks ago? And he's like, yeah. He's like, you just did this whole portfolio from scratch. He's like, yeah. He's like, well, you're in. And he's like, I'm in there. Yeah. So he said to me, he's like, you just need the answer key, right? Like, he loves to draw. He's happy yeah. to draw. And here's the thing. Like, is there anyone? It's a feedback. A feedback. Thing. You got right. Get, you need yes. the feedback. I mean, is there anyone we've ever looked up to, whether it's, uh, you know, John Williams um, or Sarah Bareilles, who just wrote Waitress, the musical. She wrote all the music. Like, to, to think, like, Randy Newman doesn't sit in meetings where he gets feedback about what, you know, Pixar wants from him. Like, is that? That's ridiculous. Like, actually it's the opposite. Like the more successful you are, the more you understand your client, the more they're giving you feedback and they're hiring you. And we had Jeff Goins on my podcast who wrote a great book called Real Artists Don't Starve. And he was like, Michelangelo was one of the wealthiest people, right? He died with $50 million. This is before inflation. So he was a billionaire. Crazy. He was commissioned to paint that chapel. They told him what to paint. Does yeah. that mean it's not beautiful because they told him to paint Moses and all? No. Like this is this is ridiculous. This is such a myth of the starving artist because the starving artist is only starving because we've lost the empathy. So it, yeah. it used to be that there was an honor. So absolutely, you know, as I started to get scrappy, have meetings, it was like like what Saul said about that answer key. I was filling in the answer key. And it was just giving yes. me tools, like arrows and equipment, pulling out of my quiver, like all these like bows and arrows. I could then understand, oh, I'm going to use this palette today. But I'm still, you know, I'm still the one using the tools. It's still coming through me, through yes. the way I would use it, the way I would hold this pen, the way I would play that piano. It's still me. It's just being put into something that, again, it's that language that they speak. And now it all comes together. It's like synthesized and it makes sense. Yeah. I think there's like, I think there's part of this that is that uh, your brain works in dualism and binary to where you, you, I feel like the questions always come back to these black and white things about, is it about me or is it about them? And the answer is yes. Yeah. Like, and I think that there's something about holding that intention of it's about self-expression, but it's also about connection. And I, and I, 
and I think there's something about that that broader spectrum of understanding. This isn't this isn't a simple equation. And then also, I think one thing that's been on my mind a lot lately is is it it like I think a lot of uh, a lot of artists can fall into it being about glory when it's really supposed to be more about impact. And they both yeah. look like large groups of people, you know, winning in glory and winning in impact. They both have numbers associated to it with them, you know, but one is about connection and one is about, uh, narcissism. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's just, yeah. And I thought the other thing, as you're saying all that, another way I would think about it or that it's helping me understand it is when you're in a relationship, <laughs> uh, you know, when I'm in a relationship with my wife and I'm thinking about love yeah. languages, my point of connect is connecting with her. It's not, I like to love people through acts of that's service right. and damn to you. If you damn don't, you. If that's not how you receive it. No, I'm like, no, how do you, when, you know, when I do this, is that, does that make you feel loved? Or when I do that, I just want to do the one that connects that's us. Right. And I think if you're, if your goal is glory, then you're not, you're going to ignore all that. But if your goal is connection and impact, with your art, which I think it, so I think it comes down to what's your definition of art? What's the purpose yeah. of it? Um, and for me, it's, it is about, this is a vessel that we can get out of the loneliness of the individual experience That's and, right. and feel cool our connected that? I mean, that, experience, that, you know? And, you know, same thing with like starting my podcast. I, you know, I started it, recording it in my closet a couple of years ago in my old house and I yeah. I was talking to a friend who had been working on podcasts and he was really mentoring me. And every time I would get stuck or I'd be like, what's what's my next show supposed to be about? Or this is so overwhelming. How am I going to do this? He'd say, what are the pain points of your listeners? And that would always snap me yeah. right back. What are the pain points of your listeners? Where's the pain? How can you help? What are the things that they're feeling and I'm like, right, go back to that. Go back to that. Serve. What's the pain that you're, you know, you're figuring out? And every person we've had on my show, we've had Jonathan Adler, who's an incredible designer, and um, Bobby Brown, yeah. who's just sold her makeup line to Estee Lauder for like a billion dollars, and all these people. Yeah. And each one of them, that's the that's the moment for them when their hobby became a business. Like Jonathan Adler was talking about, how he like he made a few of these pots and. He just had the he had the chutzpah he had the the gumption to call up somebody at Barney's and he was like, uh, "Can I talk to your buyer?" And he got through and the guy's like, "Oh, I'll come see what you have." And he's like, "Look, these are cool, but you need a different glaze. It's the wrong glaze." And he was like, "It's very inside baseball," but he's like, "This is a crackle glaze. You need a different kind of glaze." And he's like, "Okay." Anyway, he started to like go back to Barney's and really get clear about what they wanted. And eventually, they bought a bunch of these pots and you know, it led him to, he has like 28 stores and he's now designed hotels and he makes everything from like furniture to pillows, to clocks, to he's, he's a multimillionaire, you know, he has a house in Fire Island, a house in New York city. He's, he's a jet setter. You know, he's a very happy, well-dressed, you know, designer at this point, but he talked about that was yeah. the moment, you know, like, what do they want? Oh yeah, that's cool. That's helpful. So, um, this, this is such a important piece and I love what you just said. I mean, what is the point of your art? Because you can do something amazing with it. And, 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 you know, Jonathan, the reason I brought him up is because he had said that his dad, he was a lawyer who did art like in the basement and like paint things, but he just wanted to do it for himself. And he said, you know, ask yourself, like, 
do you just want to do this as a hobby? That's fine. fine. Or do you really want to do this full time? Because if you do, I think that's the difference between the business and the hobby, because at some point that radical empathy kicks in and then other people start to pay you for it consistently because they love it too. And it speaks their language, like you said, perfectly about the love languages. Um, and, and I think, yeah. We, yeah. Do you want to journal yeah. or do you right. want to communicate? <laughs> yeah. You can journal. Nobody's saying yeah. you, that's fine. Do that in right. your basement. But if you want to connect, yes, totally. And the other thing that you said that's so interesting is um, that, you know, we were talking about the matrix in that, uh, in that system, I talked about if you wait to get published or you wait to get that recording contract or whatever, you won't get that necessary feedback to actually improve. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, the comics, the, they can almost only write up on stage when they can see, oh, that hit. Oh, I thought that was really funny. They didn't yeah. think it was funny. And if you wait until someone says you're great and gives you permission to, you know, blast it and distribute it to this giant audience via the old yeah. machine, you'll you'll never get that feedback that you need, like what you were saying about Jonathan Adler going and hearing, nope, not that glaze. And you're like, oh, yeah. new new feedback. Go back. Yeah, and I think again. that the reason that this is I think that the the discussion that's really underlying this is that we are all so hard on ourselves. There's so much uh, criticism and self-doubt and imposter syndrome. We're so, we make it that we're so fragile. We identify so much with each piece of work, with each song, with each piece of poetry, with everything that going through the process that we just outlined, the, the way that we're sort of approaching it is so off that we can't get through it. So we yeah. just say, I guess I don't want that. I don't care. I'm a real artist. I don't, I just want to do my own thing. When really that just might be a big excuse under and what's under it is I'm, I, I feel like such crap. I have such self doubt that it takes very little for someone to say anything that hurts so badly that I wind up getting out of the game. So what I'm going to do is convince myself that I don't want it because that's the best way for me never to get rejected. I'll just tell myself, I don't want what you have. In fact, you're a sellout and I don't want it. But really yeah. here's the cool thing. Yeah. You are so much bigger than this piece of art. This is like in a, in a, in a, in a beach in New Zealand where it's like this beautiful expansive beach that runs for a mile. This piece is like one piece of sand, right? So there's so much more to your soul. There's so much more to you. We're so multifaceted than this one thing and rejection as my friend Amber Ray says so well, it's just redirection, right? It's just, the world is yeah. merciful. It's it's just helping you actually get clearer about who you are and it's directing you to where you really can serve and how to really serve at the peak of who you are. Like what we do is we compare our behind the scenes crap to other people's highlight reels and we go, oh, well, yeah. I, I, forget it then, you know, they had it and I don't. And, and I guess I, I, I'll just do it my way. And maybe it's because they are doing absolutely what I'm doing. It just worked for them faster. So I guess yeah. I'm not, no, like you don't see the, the 15 albums of garbage that before they got signed, you, you didn't see all the work. And, and, um, Ed Sheeran says it really well. He says, imagine if you went to Vermont to go skiing and you haven't been there for three or four months and, and you turn the water on and it, it comes out like brown sludgy water. Like you wouldn't say, oh, forget it. We're going home. You know, the places you just let yeah. it run and it runs clearer and clearer. And he said, yep. you know, 
everybody looks at my work now and they're like, wow, every song you write is amazing. He's like, first of all, that's not true. You don't hear all the songs I write that don't get released. But also he's like, when I started writing music, it was like this brown sludgy water. And I had to, I had to stomach how uncomfortable I was when the music wasn't what I wanted it to be the first, second, and 42nd time. I had to sit through that feeling. And Ira Glass says like, there's a gap, right? Yeah, Yeah, and you said that that on my show, which is like, you have good taste, but then your ability to make the thing that you can identify as great, it's gonna take a second. So really, if we could all be way kinder to ourselves, maybe there is so much brilliance that we could uncover. So maybe the trick is have the courage to make mediocre things and keep making things and seeking out that feedback. And maybe like you are going to be, you know, the next brilliant maker, but you, you might, might need to give yourself five whole minutes, right? Maybe that's okay. So, yeah. And I think that, uh, I'm going to, I want to respect your time. So I'm going to wrap it up in a second, but uh, and we're going to just have to continue this conversation and we're just going to have to have an ongoing series of interviews, I think. But uh, um, I think that you're hitting something on the fixed versus yeah. the growth mindset. And if you have the fixed mindset and you think you either have what it takes or you don't, you either have the talent or you don't, then you're afraid of feedback because if you if the feedback comes back that you don't have it, then it mm-hmm. means you'll never have it. Whereas if you have the growth mindset that says, if I don't have it now, that new feedback will actually help me get it. Yeah. And that's why um, I love who you are in this world and how you show up for other people because they're so so, so sweet. I, this has been so phenomenal (laughs) and I was excited about this conversation and then it blew my expectations out of the water. Loving of you to say all that, but you're so at the end of the day, you're giving so much love. Like you have so much love to give and that's why your audience is here. They feel that. And that is the thing that they need so that they can keep getting back up and writing the next thing. And if you could just be kinder to yourself and let it come out, you know, there's two stages of creation. There's the, you know, you're writing something, then you go back the next day, a different day and edit it. That's two different creative processes. Like I used to sit down and think that I would like have my little quill and my little notebook or whatever. I'd sit there thinking I was going to write the song in its proper syntax. And then, of course, I wouldn't have the right rhyme for the third line. And so I would just rip it up. That's so ridiculous. That's not how songs get written. That's not yeah. how things get painted. That's not how buildings and get created. Like, it's, it's ridiculous. So um, I think that all of us um, have a divine ability to create. And I think all of us have an ability to connect with something beautiful that, that can come through us, that we can be a conduit for, something we can say, yeah. something we can paint. And the way you say it has never been said. It, it just hasn't. The way you're going to say it is going to be, it can never be, even if it's a similar message to what someone else says or paints or creates, it's not yours. So if you could just give yourself the grace and the space to make things you're going to be led to more and more of what really is the you of you and more brilliant things are going to come out and you're going to have an impact and just like, let's take the pressure and the, the constant, like I'm a fraud. It's imposter syndrome. I'm terrible at this. Forget it. It's like everyone's feeling that all the time. So let's just do it anyway. 
you know? Yeah. Kathy, thank you so much for sharing so, so much of your story and so many tips and all of this. It is going to be just a, a massive blessing to everybody in my <laughs> audience. So and we got to we talk We're going to talk again, again and uh, let's be friends. Kathy, thanks for being on my show, friend. I hope we get to see each other, speak soon, something of that nature quite quite soon. Uh, go check out Kathy's site and her workshop in the show notes at creativepeptalk.com slash episodes. And don't forget, you can go check out the interview I did with Kathy on her website, Don't Keep Your Day Job. You can go check it out on iTunes or wherever podcasts are proliferated. I really had a great time chatting with her on that one, and I've got tons and tons of good feedback about our conversation. Uh, So go check it out if you you like that kind of thing. If you like podcasts. uh, (laughs) Anyway, Kathy. Thank you. You are so fantastic. And you're such an example of a thriving creative career. So we're happy to have you on the show. You know what I'm going to do right now? Right now, I'm going to do a special segment that we call the Patreon shout out. I might've called it something different the last episode, but that's what I'm calling it this time. It's where I say, you know what? We love our patrons. Like, and that is straight from the bottom of my heart. Before we ever had sponsors, we had patrons on patreon.com slash creative pep talk where listeners have been giving a dollar amount per episode for the past couple years and we couldn't do it without you guys and, and your support means everything to me and my wife Sophie who's a big part of the show and Alex Sugg. Ah, we, we are thankful. And uh, here's the big shout out. Nicholas Goodger. Nicholas was actually, I picked him randomly from the patrons, but he actually was one of my MFBA students. He is a phenomenal hand letterer. You should go check out his work at goodsir.co. Goodsir, S-I-R.co. Go check him out on Instagram at Nicholas Goodger. And that's G-O-O-D-G-E-R. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a great speller, but uh, go check him out. Thanks, Nick. Thank you for supporting the show. Uh, it means the world to me. Thanks to... Oh, don't forget to go get the calendar. We got the calendar out. Limited supply. Creativepeptalk.etsy.com. And thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for editing the podcast and providing the soundtrack to the podcast. Thanks to all of you guys for listening and all of uh, you lovely people who support the show. And until we speak again, stay pepped up. <laughs>